Good morning. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And we'll talk about more than this, but I want to focus on verse 20. Matthew 12:20. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. The context, I think, of the chapter is, is important to understand how profound this is. This is a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah, from chapter 42. Matthew quotes it here in the chapter. So let's read, and then we'll discuss some things. Verse 1, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you have known what this means, quote, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, end quote, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So the chapter begins with Jesus and his disciples who are walking to the synagogue on the Sabbath. They're going to church, basically, on the Sabbath. They're walking. And while they're there, they're going through fields. And they're hungry. And they reach out and take a handful of food from whatever grain was growing there. The Pharisees seem to be watching them very intently, looking for something to blame them over. And they tell Jesus, your disciples are Sabbath breakers. Look at them. They're working, which is ridiculous, right? They're hungry. They take a handful of food. Is that working? And really, listen... It's it's a much deeper accusation, isn't it? They're accusing Jesus of allowing, accepting, even encouraging Sabbath breaking. <clears throat> You're with them. You see what they're doing. They're doing what's not lawful. So Jesus tells them, "You're wrong about your ideas <clears throat> about the Sabbath." Don't you remember? David was hungry and there was a provision for him. Right? God is compassionate. They're hungry. Oh, take the bread. 
It's not as important to make sure that this bread is only used for the exact purpose that it's intended for. They're hungry. They eat it. They were not wrong to do so, Jesus says. And also the priests. This is an interesting concept. He said, have you ever thought about it? The priests work every Sabbath. They're not breaking the Sabbath by working. God wants them to work. He wants them to do their job. Now listen. Is Jesus the high priest? And is it right for him to work on the Sabbath? Because you'll see in this chapter, they, they're accusing him of this. And, and condemning him. Were the disciples Sabbath breakers because they ate some handfuls of food? No. No. And Jesus is a priest, and it is right for him to do good on the Sabbath. And then he says in verse 7, or verse 6, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. They're trying to make everything about the temple. They don't understand what Jesus is going to do. The temple becomes obsolete. He's more important than the temple. What The work that He's doing is going to transform everything. Okay, let's read on. Verse 9, He went on from there. So they're walking to the synagogue when this first thing happened. They enter the synagogue. A man was there with a withered hand. And they asked Him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they might accuse Him. They, they're bringing up this situation on purpose. They've already accused him of being a lax leader. His disciples being Sabbath breakers. And they want to catch him in another violation. Verse 11, he said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. This is logical, isn't it? If you would feed your animal or lift it out of a hole on the Sabbath, surely you can help a person... Animals, they're, yes, the righteous hath regard for his beast, but it's not the same as humans. Verse 13, Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the others. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this text. We pray that you'd help us as we understand and that we would see what a compassionate and kind and loving Lord that you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Pharisees will not let up in their attempts to disqualify him. And Jesus knows that they're trying to trap him, right? We read over and over incidences where people, the, the Bible says they are thinking this 
And Jesus says, why are you thinking this? Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which I'm sure they're shocked that he knows. But it it only heightens God's compassion and mercy and patience. The fact that he knows everything they're trying to do and doesn't just kill them. He reasons with them instead. He shows them. It's logical. Of course I would help a disabled man on the Sabbath. Why wouldn't I? It's a human made in God's image. Humans are worth more than animals. It's perfectly lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he heals the man in demonstration of divine power. Right? And shouldn't what should have the Pharisees' response been in this moment? Glorify God! This man has a withered hand, and in an instant he is healed, and the Bible says, so that his hand was like the other. Instead of glorifying God for having mercy on the man, they plot further how to kill him, that is, Jesus. He knows everything that they're plotting, right? As the Word of God, doesn't He know and is able to discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart? Hebrews chapter 4, He is. He doesn't crush them publicly, which He could do very easily. He doesn't engage in long debate. He decides to leave quietly. He has work to do. Look, let's look at the text. Verse 15. Jesus, aware of this, and remember, aware of what? What's he aware of? They're, they're planning to try to kill him. He's aware of this. And the Bible says, with, he withdrew from there. And many followed him, and he healed them all. And ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. This is interesting. Jesus decides to leave quietly. He does reason with them, but when they're plotting, he withdraws from the area. And Matthew says that happened to fulfill what Isaiah prophesied about God's servant. That that's not his purpose to sit and bicker and go back and forth and back and forth in long debates that have no purpose except to waste time. You won't hear him quarreling or crying aloud. That's not what he's doing. He goes back to the countryside and continues preaching and healing the sick. And he tells them, y'all keep quiet about this. 
Praise God, but keep quiet. I'm trying to do my work. I don't want to be hindered everywhere I go. Just be quiet about it. Verse 18, let's look at that. God's servant is Jesus. In the book of Isaiah, sometimes the servant of God refers to Israel. The whole country, he sometimes calls Israel my servant. And then also Jesus, the Son of Man, is called his servant. Verse 18, Behold my servant whom I have chosen. If you were to read that in Isaiah 42, you might not be sure exactly who is the servant. What, who is he talking about? But Matthew tells us that was about Jesus. The way Jesus is carrying himself, that was prophesied. Of course it's going to happen. Isaiah is not a false prophet. He is a true prophet. Verse 19, he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He's going to work quietly, faithfully. I mean, if you think about John the Baptist and Jesus, John the Baptist was more so crying out, right? Flee, repent, you vipers, repent. And Jesus does do that sometimes, but mostly not. Mostly he tries to reason with them, and when they plot and scheme or reject, he slips away and goes to work somewhere else. Verse 20, Jesus will work gently, carefully. Listen, church Christians, listen. He knows that humans are in terrible shape. He knows everything is working against them. Everything in them is working against them to repent and believe the truth. A bruised reed, he's not going to break that. Even a very fragile thing like that, a bruised reed, it's going to break anyway. Not Jesus is going to try to heal it and help it. Smoking lamp it's kind of, there's kind of debate is is the problem here the wick or the oil you know sometimes you have to trim off the end of the wick because it's becoming old and it doesn't light up like it's supposed to or sometimes you have to um, have you seen those ones where you increase the length of the wick or turn it back down I'm not sure what kind they had back then But the point is, it's smoking. There's a spark in there, but it's not really doing what it's supposed to be doing. It's supposed to be giving light. And sometimes you might, like for us, we might say, I mean, it's barely even on. Just snuff it out. But that's not what Jesus is doing in humanity. He's being very careful, very gentle. A bruised bruise reed, he won't break it. A barely lit wick, he won't quench it. He wants it to light back up. Verse 21, the Gentiles even will hope in him. Now listen, I'm not teaching that humanity has the divine spark in them and it just needs to be, you know, fanned and flamed. That's not what I'm saying. And who exactly... Is 
Isaiah's prophecy, who exactly is that talking about? Which bruised reed will he not break? Which smoking flax will he not quench? The Pharisees? The the people around him who are poor and sick? After people are converted to Christianity, but they're terribly backslidden? And he says, I won't. I won't break a bruised reed or quench the smoking wick. I'll help it. I, I mean, I think it could be all of that. I don't know. What do y'all think? A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench. Who do you think he's... Who is that? I mean, we, we would say that's good, right? It's good that he won't break a bruised reed or snuff out a smoking wick, but who's it intended for? Do you have an idea? I like the all of the above answer mm-hmm. because I feel like contextually we have right before the, the Pharisees who obviously don't know what's going on and then we have the little part in verse 15 and 16 and 17 about him healing kind of the masses of just the people who don't really know what he's there for, but mm-hmm. they're trying to kind of have faith or figure out what what is the truth. Mm. And then there's all this Gentile language too, which makes me think of kind of the people of Israel who've strayed. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that, you know, the Gentiles in their faith, whenever they first became Christians, it was very incomplete and Paul had to tell them like, Here's all these things you shouldn't do. Like, don't keep sleeping with the prostitutes in the temple mm-hmm. every night. That's mm-hmm. probably not a good idea. Mm-hmm. So it, it seems to me like it could be all of the above, both kind of the Pharisees, but then the people at large, and then new Christians hmm. who maybe it's just an incomplete faith, but it's kind of like the mustard seed faith, right? Mm-hmm. Like, very mm-hmm. smoking mm-hmm. wick. It's not completely put out, and it could be fanned into a flame. Yeah, if you think about the mustard seed passage, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, the point there is that God knows what's going on with you. Believe, even a little, a tiny amount, God knows what hinders you from believing in Him. And a small amount of faith can do a lot. Right? Isn't that the point? Um. I, I think also what we see here, I agree, Nina, but also I think what we see here is that this verse that it's like very tender and gentle for Jesus, right? I mean, he, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, but he comes into Jerusalem riding a donkey. You know, just no threat at all. That He's, he's not coming in there, you know, with arms and weapons and ready to battle. And we've got the Pharisees plotting to kill him, accusing him of being a bad leader, breaking the Sabbath, trying to set him up. And right after this, if we, we don't need to exposit all this, but Jesus heals the demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute, And all the people, verse 23, were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? Listen, they're asking, Is he the Messiah? And when the Pharisees heard it, they said, 
oh, it's by the power of Satan that he does this work. So now they're blaspheming the Holy Spirit, accusing Jesus of working together with Satan. And sandwiched in all this stuff, right? He knows their hearts completely. They're plotting to kill him. They're accusing him and his disciples of breaking the law. They're accusing him of being in league with the great deceiver and blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And in the middle of all that, we get a bruised reed he will not break. Smoking flax he will not quench. I don't think it's accidental. I think what Matthew is laying out is the compassion and gentle and loving and saving nature of Jesus. It doesn't doesn't mean that he's never open and blunt about the sins of unbelief and hypocrisy. Sometimes he's very strong against sin, but he's tender-hearted and compassionate toward the people who are injured, for sure, and the weak, right? One commentator said, Far from breaking the bruised reed, Jesus would heal and restore it. And as for the smoldering wick, he would supply it with oil and reignite its flame. Yeah? I was just thinking, whenever a reed is bruised, how it gets, you know, bent, like, and applying that to the Pharisees, how kind of their pursuit of truth or of righteousness was just kind of corrupted. It was like slightly, slightly or more so just bent and, and askew. And I don't think that, I think we can definitely say that this can be applied to the Pharisees because of Paul. I mean, he was kind of taken out of that tradition and, mm-hmm. you know, fanned into a flame. Mm-hmm. So, you know, made straight. <laughs> yeah, I think there there's a certain percentage, which I don't know what it is, of the the Pharisees that were not just plotting to kill him all the time. They were really going, this is not how I thought the Messiah would come. If he's the Messiah, we have to relook at the scriptures. I don't you know. But when Jesus talks about them, it's usually not very good, right? He's like, beware of them. They look good, but they're rotting bones on the inside, just corpses. Yeah. That's how they used it, but that's not the way it was intended. Right? Jesus says explicitly, man is not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made to help man to rest, not to be a giant burden that's constantly pushing you into the ground. It's there as a blessing to humanity. Rest. Okay, well here's the question. We're not... I don't know if we can say definitively who is actually the bruised reed. 
definitely we know there's all sorts of hurting people. But just think about this for now. Are you a bruised reed? Are you a bruised reed? And I don't mean theologically. Can God's people ever be bruised reeds? That's, that's not what I'm saying. Are you weak right now? Are you smoking flax? I'm not sure why. I remember that in the King James Version, not in the ESV. Listen, are you? Because if you are, take comfort. Jesus is a good and gentle Savior. He is. Go to God that He can bind up your wounds. And go to Him that He can restore the joy of your faith. If Christians are in the state of barely burning, what's the solution? Right? There's the, how can you fan your faith? The only thing we can do is go to God. Cry out, ask, pray continually, tell others and ask them to pray for you. And listen, what about people around you? Are you around others that are bruised and barely alive, physically and spiritually? Take Jesus' action to heart. Be ministers of reconciliation. This has come up several times this week, but the way we are as humans, if you're not careful, you see yourself in the best light possible and you see others in the worst light. Right? You excuse your own works and you judge their works. Right? I mean, it, maybe, maybe it's just me that has a Pharisee hiding inside of me. Be ministers of reconciliation. Sometimes we see people who claim to be Christians and, and we are quick to judge. He's not a Christian. He's full of himself. We're ready to break off the bruise reed. We're ready to just quench it. Is that good? I mean, you can tell a tree by its fruit. I'm not saying that we shouldn't, you know... Um, recognize when people are fooling themselves. But if our goal in the Christian faith is to be godly, which it is our goal, godly, like God, well, the way God is, is a bruised reed, He doesn't break. And a smoking wick, He doesn't quench it. Be kind, be compassionate, Tell the truth, but be meek as you tell the truth. And we see that, that that's Jesus' example all over. While he's being logical and talking to them very gently, he knows in that very instance there is rage building up in them and they want to kill him. And he still finishes the discussion so that they might repent is that isn't that amazing 
a king who is in the process of being merciful to all the guerrilla warriors, while he's giving them the terms of peace, he knows what they don't know he knows, that they're actually plotting to kill him. The mercy of God is... I mean, if you think about your own sin, you know God's mercy is marvelous. But then when you add up all the sins of everybody, there's no comparison. There's no comparison. This is why all the reformers, when they talk about grace and God's sovereignty and salvation, they say... Glory be to God. To God be the glory. Because there's nothing like this. The only thing that can even come close is the mercy that comes through the Spirit of God through His people to the world. A bruised reed He will not break. A smoldering wick He will not quench. Any discussion you want to have? Yeah. I think that it's kind of interesting the contrast of talk, the Pharisees and the way that they were in the law, and they were very strict. And he's using that example of the Sabbath, and then his other example with um, a bruised reed. He, he's showing his grace and mercy. He's saying mm-hmm. um, the law is not what. I mean, he's pointing out the law is not what saves you or what's what mm-hmm. makes you right in that passage and so it and then you know he says he's the lamb that takes away the sins of the world and he's kind of showing them mm-hmm. grace and mercy in the whole passage which they never yeah, first he tells them, you know, y'all are, y'all are misreading the Old Testament. You need to look at the, remember David, he ate the bread. This is totally lawful. Y'all are just wrong. You're trying to say it's not lawful. It's totally lawful. And especially for me, right? Jesus is saying, for me, I'm the priest. I can work on the Sabbath. That's been going on from the beginning. But I wish that we could look at these passages and and like sometimes I look at them and I think, why are they so dense? What is the problem? But then I'm like, I'm so dense also. <laughs> yeah? I think that third line of verse 20, until he brings justice to victory, mm-hmm. um, I sort of see that as like sort of a limitation or like a time limitation. Sure. There's a lot of mercy going on, and but there will come a time when the reeds will be broken and the wicks will be broken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, um, so there's a lot of mercy, but there's also sort of an urgency to repent and mm-hmm. um, don't wait kind of thing. Um, and I think we see that a lot, especially with John the Baptist, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, we know God is very patient with us and that mm-hmm. he's very merciful to us, but we, we shouldn't take that mercy as if we're going to have it all the time so or that's going to be here all the time right? yeah it, the door is open for any human to repent at any time until they're dead the door is not open anymore it's closed 
you know, there's definitely urgency because, you know, like your dad says, Jeannie, people younger than you are dying every day, no matter how old you are. I tell Lydia this. People, old, people younger than you are dying every day. Okay. Somebody else's kids, I guess. But it is true, Lydia, even if if that didn't happen between us. It is definitely true. Like, for example, the people who just got shot up in the school were younger than Lydia. And they didn't think they were going to die that day. And their parents, when they dropped them off, didn't think that they wouldn't see their kids anymore. There's definitely urgency, Michael. But while we're taking urgent action to bring the good news to the people, do it like Jesus. Reason with them. Be logical. But be gentle. Be compassionate. Understand that everything is working against them. All right, well, let's, let's have a word of prayer and we'll continue our fellowship. Brother Grady, will you lead us in prayer, please?